this is your life. Are you who you want to be? Because this morning you're more than the sum total of your parts. You're more than your past. You're more than your present. You're more than what you've dreamed of your future. Are you who you want to be? But even greater than that question, are you who he wants you to be? Because when we look in Scripture, and particularly today's passage, we run into a story, uh, and I don't want to say it's a story because it's not make-believe, it's real. There's a man that comes to Jesus and he genuinely wants to engage Christ. He genuinely wants to know what is the secret to life. What is the secret of having eternal life for the future? How can Jesus help him become the person that he wants to be? For so many of us, when we've looked at this passage in the Gospel of Mark, and we've heard it talked about in Sunday school, and we're very quick to say, well, this is about wealth. Well, this doesn't apply to me because we don't really consider ourselves wealthy enough for this scripture to apply. And so we kind of look at it as this is the story of a person that's wealthy that goes away unhappy because he was not willing to pursue Christ for the sake of his wealth. And if you and I look at that and we walk away with just that indication, we will miss a greater part of the story. Are you who God wants you to be? Are you even the person that you want to be? Because I think that what this story in Scripture tells us or gives us kind of an insight to is that this rich young ruler, so to speak, he has the desire of practically everyone on the face of the planet who is in tune with any type of spirituality, whether it's Christianity or not. There is a desire to be better than who we are today. How do I know that? Well, uh, all you have to do is go to the grocery stores and the checkout lines and look at the magazines and, and whatnot. You can have the body that you want. You can have the relationship that you want. You can have the style that you want. You can have the dream that you want. In fact, if you go to Books A Million or Barnes & Noble today, or even if you look on Amazon and you discover some of the greatest selling books of all time, they're self-help to help you become a better person to help you become perhaps the dream that you've always wanted but always the dream that the publishers have always wanted for you. Are you who you want to be? And a greater question for us as followers of Jesus Christ, are we who God wants us to be? Some very important insights in the Gospel of Mark in the 10th chapter. And one of those, very quickly, is that we have this rich young ruler, we have this wealthy man and as Jesus, the Bible tells us in verse 17 of chapter 10, as Jesus started on his way, a man comes up to him and falls on his knees, kneels before him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now as Baptists, as we approach this, ha ha ha, you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer because we know it's not about doing anything. It's not about doing anything, it's about experiencing the life that God has always wanted us to have. John Ortberg wrote a book some years ago, and he entitled the book, The Life That You've Always Wanted. 
And I hate that title, uh, not, that, not that I really have any, uh, any ability to critique John Ortberg, but I think a greater question, we don't need to be pursuing the life that we've always wanted. We need to be pursuing the life that God has always wanted for us. We need to be pursuing those things which made us greater, not in our own eyes or in people's eyes. We need to be pursuing those things that make us greater in the kingdom because our our kingdom is not of this world. Now this past week, how many of you watched the debates on television? Yes, yeah, some of you did. It's pathetic. I mean, I'm just going to name it what it is. It's, it is absolutely pathetic. And I have, you know, I love politics and I've watched both Democratic debates and, and Republican debates and it is sad. And one, one of the things I wrote about in the paper this week is, this is the best of the best? I mean, really? We've had eight years to come up with a formidable candidate and this is all we have? It is absolutely pathetic because what has happened is we've become a generation that will critique everyone, that will character assassinate anyone, but that doesn't mean that that individual or just because you win a banter on a stage that you're going to be able to lead us in the foreseeable future. Our kingdom is not of this world. I've heard uh, some people tell me today that there's quite a lot, I didn't know this, but a vast amount of people in Hollywood and, and public figures said, well, if so-and-so becomes the president, I'm going to move. And I commented to them this morning, so far with the names you've told me, it wouldn't bother me at all if they moved out of this country and went somewhere else. But the reality is this. No matter who is elected to the Oval Office... It doesn't trump, no pun intended, God. Okay? God is still on his throne. And when we put all our eggs in the basket of American politics, or we say, I don't, we're just not going to make it unless so-and-so is elected, or unless she is elected, or unless he is elected, we have missed the whole understanding of what God has intended us to do. Now, it's not that we should withdraw and say, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. I'm just not going to vote. That is pathetic because when you and I choose not to vote, we are surrendering one of the greatest freedoms that is ensured by democracy. No, we must vote. We must vote for what we foresee is the best candidate. I'm just not impressed so far with anybody that I've seen, but that doesn't mean that we should stick our heads in the sand and pretend like we shouldn't have a part in what happens. But we always need to understand that this is small compared to the big vision of God's kingdom. You know, God's kingdom is not of this world. Our final destination is not here. This is the only hell that you and I hopefully will ever experience. Now, when you think in those terms, it kind of minimizes the power of the American political machine. Because as I said some weeks ago, God has not called us to be righteous politicians. God has called us to be completely sold out for him. That should be our defining point. And so this man who encounters Jesus in chapter 10 uh, of Mark, he comes and he says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, why, why are you calling me good? No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus goes on to say, you know the commandments, you should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. 
Teacher, he declared, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. So what, what is our takeaway? What is one of our takeaways today? One is that keeping the commandments does not bring eternal life. You know, when people go out and they interview people, you know, you know are you a believer or are you saved, uh, so to speak? People say, yes, I'm saved. Well, how do you know? I'm saved. Well, I keep the Ten Commandments. I bet you some of you who have had these conversations, you've heard people say that. I've kept the Ten Commandments. And so this rich young ruler who comes up, he encounters Jesus and Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he says, you know, he goes through all the commandments or a list of the commandments. And the guy says, well, I've done these since I was a boy. And we think, well, kudos, great, because I don't know about you, but when I examine my life, uh, not only these commandments, but if we venture into the others, uh, not one of us has really kept all the Ten Commandments. We have all fallen short someplace at some point. There was a public figure uh, within the last two weeks that uh, was asked, have you ever lied? And this person replied, no, I don't believe I have. That is a lie in and to itself. Every single, if you ask me, have I lied? Absolutely I've lied. I can give you a prime example. Tabby can come in one day and she can say, how do I look? And I can think what she's got on is absolutely horrific, but I'm going to say, oh, you look great, babe. Why? Because I value my marriage. I don't want to sleep on the couch. I lie. I'm just being real. You know? Have I ever committed adultery? Of course I have. How many times have I had these thoughts in my mind when I see something that's beautiful? I'm just being real. We could use a dose of authenticity. Because when you and I are authentic... When we're real, when we bring down the walls that we've built and we try to pretend that we have these pretty little lives that don't have any complications or any struggles, we create a falsehood that becomes something that we believe. And we begin thinking that we are actually better than what we are. But deep down inside we know, we know who we are. Do you have the life, are you who you want to be. Who are you when no one else is watching? That, my friend, is your integrity. Your integrity is not built upon who you are in front of other people. Your integrity is built upon who you are when no one else but God sees you as you disclose yourself to him. This rich young ruler, this man who wanted to know what he could do to inherit eternal life, how he could live in the kingdom that was to come. He says, I have kept these commandments since I was a boy. And so we, great, we get great insight into eternal life. Eternal life is not built upon the foundation of keeping commandments. Now I also find it interesting, not only is it not built upon keeping the Ten Commandments, but also Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. Notice he says, uh, he said, what must I do to have, inter uh, have eternal life? And Jesus uh, says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he says in verse 19, you know the commandments. He doesn't tell the guy, you followed the commandments. He says, you know them. Hmm. Therefore, we can come to a great understanding. Not only is keeping the commandments, keeping the commandments doesn't make us great in God's eyes. It doesn't give us or lead us to eternal life. But even knowledge of things does not lead us to 
eternal life. You know, it's possible to know Jesus and know all about Jesus, but not know Him. It's possible to be a religious person, to be what I would call a secular Christian, or in that sense, to to identify ourselves as Christian, but our lives are so secular in every sense of the word. We have the knowledge, we have the capacity to know God. We know all the, the A, B's and C's, admit that we are a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, commit our lives to Him. We know the scriptures, we know the ropes of what it means to do church, we know what it is to look the part, and all the time we're building these walls around us, pretending that our world is not falling apart, and Jesus absolutely obliterates the wall, goes to the very essence of who we are and says, look, it's not about knowledge. It's not about knowing the truth in the cognitive or brain sense of the word. It's about being overwhelmed by the absolute presence of God. Knowledge of commandments, knowledge of truth does not bring eternal life. The purpose of the law, the purpose of the commandments, the purpose of knowing the commandments is not to squelch joy, but to help us conform to a life coupled with faith that will lead us on a journey of blessing. I used to think when I was a teenager, you know, when you're a child, you're innocent and you don't understand all the things like birds and bees and the trees and everything else. But then when you become a teenager, suddenly, uh, you know, you, you, you have that conversation, you have that moment where you kind of understand the birds and the bees and all those things. And I couldn't understand, okay, God, why do you give me this knowledge if I cannot apply this knowledge to my life in the current setting? And so one of the things that I would, I mean, literally, I would pray this, maybe some of you, you don't want to admit this, but maybe some of you teenagers in here and adults uh, or seasoned adults, if you're honest with yourself, I mean, one of the prayers I pray, God, please, please, please do not come back. To this world until I have the opportunity to be married and experience the blessings of marriage. I mean, that's one of the prayers I pray as a teenager. I'm just being honest. I mean, you're supposed to bring to God all your petitions and your needs. I was worried that I might die or that God's going to come back. And I mean, Dad, gum it. I mean, I missed out on this opportunity. This is going to be one of those sermons that you remember. But when I look at that and I look at those commandments and I know that I fall short of those commandments, I'm like, God, why do you have these rules? God doesn't want me to have any fun. That's what I used to think. I mean, because I equated fun with everything else I couldn't do or would be sinful for me to do. I mean, every time I turn around, I'm sinning. I was much happier when I was lost because then I didn't have knowledge of such things. But then once I gained the knowledge and it impacted my life and I surrendered my life to Christ, suddenly I can't do anything right. I mean, I can't even breathe without lusting. What's up with me? The commandments, all the rules, all the guidelines. Listen, you can keep the Ten Commandments and you can keep the other 600 laws that are spelled out in the Old Testament and you could you can meet the mark to uh, dotting your I and crossing your T and you still would spend eternity separated from God because it's not about the knowledge of those things. It's about experiencing the risen Christ. And see, Jesus knows this. And so when the rich young ruler comes and he says, you know, I've kind of, I mean, this is what he's thinking. I've got my ducks in a row. I know the commandments. I've even, he even goes on to say, he confesses to Jesus. I have kept them since I was a boy. I want to go liar. 
liar. But I mean, that's what he confesses. I have, I have kept these since a boy. And, and, you know, I think what he's anticipating is that Jesus is going to go, Oh, I'm so proud of you. Did he say, do that? No. He says, eh, one thing you lack. I'm like, one thing I lack? Dang, I don't even measure up to the rich young ruler, let alone anybody else in the world. But when we look at the scripture, we see that Jesus is not as interested in destroying his knowledge or destroying his thought process or kicking him to the curb. I want you to notice, notice what he says in verse 21. Does it say Jesus looked at him and said? No. It says Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. Wow. That just sticks out to the page on it to me. I mean, the fact is that Jesus, listen, Jesus is not interested in winning an argument. Jesus is interested in transforming lives. Now, let's, let's, let's unpack that a little bit more. We're very good at arguing. I happen to be, uh, I think, uh, I mean, she'll tell you, I argue, all, no, I argue all the time, don't I? I try to defend my position. This is, this is the, in fact, my mother-in-law said to me last night, you love to win an argument. I do. I think it's awesome. And if faith was built on winning arguments, dang, I would be doing great. But what we notice and what we see in this passage of Scripture, it's not about winning an argument. It's about transforming lives. So if our faith, listen, if you are pursuing Jesus and in your witness to other people, if you're about kicking them to the curb to show them how pathetic they are, or if you're interested in disclosing how depraved they are just in their, their knowledge and their understanding, and you're not seeking to look at them, look at their situation and love them, you're not doing what Jesus ultimately wanted us to do. If the goal of our witness, if the goal of evangelism, sharing the good news of Christ, if the goal is to have people surrender their depraved lives to Him, if the purpose is for people to surrender their lifestyle to Jesus Christ, we're not going to win the lifestyle to Christ by simply standing against them. We are going to win their lifestyle to Christ. God's going to win their lifestyle to Christ by us looking at them and loving them. And coupling that with a true statement of, he says, one thing you lack. What is it that the man lacked? He says to him, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, when I was at a more progressive school, uh, this passage of scripture was about helping the poor. You see Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, he says, you will have treasure in heaven if you give to the poor. We need to take on the needs of the poor and it must be central to our faith and understanding. And that's wonderful and that's half the coin. But the other half is not only taking and noticing and doing something about poverty in our world, it's about following Jesus. I have a lot of friends of mine that are teaching in seminaries and universities and 
uh, institutions, and they will take on reaching and squelching poverty all across the world. I mean, they, they are, they are, they're very progressive-minded, and they're very, they're very, 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 very centered in helping downtrodden, low socioeconomic, and, and ridding the world of poverty, and taking on all the great social issues that are being affected in our culture today. And they have allowed that to be the great neon sign of their Christian life. But the great neon sign of the Christian life is not not ending poverty in the sense of what we understand it. The great thing that you and I must address in the Christian life or must address in the Christian life is ridding the world of the spiritual poverty that we see all over the place. To help the poor that are physical, to help the poor that are spiritual, but never ever surrender the fact that we must do it in the name of Christ as we follow Him, as we pursue Him, because what we ultimately know from this passage is that the knowledge of a problem, the knowledge of the truth, does not bring eternal life. Eternal life comes as a result of a person doing the right thing, but knowing the person that's behind making up what the right thing is to do. In other words, that we do the right thing as an extension of our obedience and fellowship of Christ as we have surrendered our hearts, our minds, and everything in between, every nook and cranny, to pursuing and following Jesus. And then finally we look in the passage and we'll think to ourselves if we're not careful, oh well... The little rich man goes away because he's not willing to give his money to the poor. Gosh, I give my money to the poor. You know, when someone is in need, I'll, you know, uh, on the interstate or whatnot, on one of those exits, I might offer them a $5 bill or I'll go to the store and buy them food. And I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing my little Christian duty. Well, isn't that beautiful? And we think, gosh, we have a greater understanding and we're much better off than that poor little rich young ruler who went away sad because we actually go to church and we actually carry a Bible and we may not read it, but we carry it and it looks pretty and it smells good. And uh, occasionally we'll go to Sunday school and we'll study God's Word and we've studied all the doctrines and we know John 3.16. We can even recite it. We're so proud of ourselves. And then we go on and on and on and on and on about jumping through these hoops that make us appear to be followers of Jesus. And we're very quick to point out, I'm so glad I'm not the rich young ruler because I'm so glad I've got my duck in a row. I'm so glad that I've crossed my T and dotted my I. I'm doing pretty daggum good. Until we come to the reality and the understanding that it was not the issue of wealth ultimately that led the rich young ruler to go away unhappy. It was the fact that he valued wealth more than he valued what it would cost him to follow Jesus. So uh, I ask in closing this morning, do you have the life that you want? Is your life today the one that you want envision? Is it the dream that you envision? Has it become a reality? Is the life that God wants for you, is it something that's real and personal today? Or is there something or someone that's keeping you from following Jesus. For, the, for this man, it was his wealth. But what is it for you? Is it a car? Is it a relationship? Is it technology? What is it that bides for your attention? 
You know, some years ago when I first got my iPhone, I love those little apps, and there was this, uh, there was this app called Gangsta. Yeah, it's called Gangsta. Uh, and that, G-A-N-G-S-T-A. I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, gangster. It's Gangsta. And the whole purpose of that is that as time passes, you get more weapons and more artillery and more grenades, and you get to go and you go up against people, uh, you know, kind of virtually, and you kill them, and you kind of you know, push them in the dust. And I thought that was awesome because every time I played it, I'd get like a, a dose of testosterone, and I thought, wow, I'm a man now. And uh, so I, I played this game, but this is what I realized. One night, as I, and this was in, when I was in Greenville, I was sitting, you know, kids are in bed, Tabby's gone to bed, it's 2.30 in the morning. I'm sitting there playing this stupid game. And it, it tells you how long you've played it. And I had a month, a month that I had spent on this stupid, stupid game. And suddenly I was very convicted because this is what the Holy Spirit said to me in that moment. You've spent a month playing a game called Gangsta when you have not spent a month in my word? How can you hide from that reality? Now, I don't want you to go out of here and feel bad about yourself or anything else because we can spend our lifetime worrying about what we've done. But I'm going to tell you right now, that was absolutely pathetic for my life. And in that moment at 2.30 in the morning, I deleted that app, and I will. You, know, like, you get my iPhone, you won't see a game on my iPhone. I will not do it because there have been other games that have been addictive. I'm like, you know, I'm like, and, and if you ever, listen, listen, you go out in our community you go to eat, and I'll, I'll, I love it. I'll see young people, and they go out on a date. They might be at the Olive Garden or one of those restaurants in Johnson City, and we'll be sitting there, and, and there's a couple. It's obvious they're young. It's obvious on the date. And they're sitting there texting at the dinner table. They're not conversing. Do you know why marriages are failing? Because we don't communicate anymore. A lot of us text message our spouses more than we have a conversation with them. We wonder why our children are falling apart. We wonder why our families are falling apart. We're not engaged enough. Let's push it forward a little bit more. If you're not engaged with the people that you see day in and day out in your home, I'm willing to bet and willing to wager that you're not engaged with the Lord. You say, well, that's not really true. I mean, I come to church. Well, God bless you. That's not really true. I, I mean, I... You know, I, 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 I pray. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think I'm that bad. You're not that bad, but let me assure you, we're not that good. And so, when we engage the gospel of Mark, and we meet Jesus, and we ask the question, because it's all on our minds, because here's the thing. Is there anybody in here that wants to go to hell? Let me just see. Let me see a hand. Anybody here want to go to hell? Wow, Baptist Church is unanimous in a decision. I'm amazed. <laughs> no one wants to go to hell. No one wants to go to hell. We all want to end up on the same eternal vacation in heaven. But our decision to follow Him. Our decision to pursue Him. God's work in our lives. His salvific act in the person of Jesus Christ who radically transforms our lives helps that future 
potential become a present reality? Do you have the life that you've wanted? Do you have the life that God has wanted for you? Don't go away from Jesus disappointed. Because the reality is for us today, it's not that you and I are being left behind by Jesus as much as it is us leaving him behind for eternity. Okay? It's not about, listen, God doesn't send people to hell. I mean, I, get, I meet lost people all the time. I can't believe a God that sends people to hell. Wake up. God doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves to hell. He has given us the prescription. He has given us the cure-all. He has given us the panacea. He has given us himself to impact our world, our community, our family, our lives, our heart, our minds, our soul. What are we going to do about it? When you and I meet Jesus, are we going to go away not with the knowledge of things? Are we going to take the knowledge that we have of Him and His Word? Are we going to couple that with faith and gain the wisdom of God so that we will know how to apply what we know to our lives and others around us? Or are we going to be like this man who encounters Jesus that when it comes to following him and comes to pursuing him, it frankly cost him too much. He wasn't willing to surrender because how great, how great he looked at himself and how great his kingdom was. He goes away unhappy. There was one thing that Jesus wanted him to do. There was one thing standing in his way of eternity and he went away disillusioned because he wasn't willing to surrender that. Here's the question this morning. What stands between you and Jesus Christ? No matter how insignificant that we want to make it, no, no matter how small we want to make it, no matter how, whatever it might be, it could be a relationship, it could be a job, it could be a gadget, it could be a car, it could be a lifestyle, whatever it is, what is the one thing that's standing in your way to Jesus? And here's the thing, it's the first thing that pops in your head. That is the thing that God wants us to surrender today. Be done with it. Don't be like this man that walks away disillusioned and happy. Recognize where you are. Recognize whose you are. And recognize, listen, God's not interested in having a conversation with you just so that he can debate you and win over an argument. God is interested in having a conversation with you, conversing with you, talking with you, loving you. And as a result of the conversation and the love that he has for you and the grace and the love that he pours out for you on the cross, he wants you to live his presence radically, radically transformed. And it's possible. Are you living the life that he's always wanted for you? It's either a yes or a no, not a pause, not a maybe, not blurry and check again later. Either yes 
or no. This is the invitation. God has business to do with all of us in this room. What's keeping you from living your God-given potential? Don't go away from this place unhappy, disillusioned. Go away from this place knowing that you have met Christ, that you have worshipped Christ, that you've fallen on your knees, and He's got the answer to everything that you've ever asked or imagined. Your life can be much better than where it is today if you're willing to let go and let God. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you and as we turn our lives over to you, as we surrender those things that keep us from experiencing your truth, your presence, that keeps us from having the life that, God, not that we have wanted, but that you have wanted for us. God, in this invitation, as the Holy Spirit moves and as we respond, may you find us faithful and obedient. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand if you're here this morning, very simply. I ask you, what, what is it that's keeping you? What one, what one burden, what one, one thing is standing between you on the path of, of eternal life? Whatever that is, God wants you to surrender that to Him today. If you're here this morning and you say, I, have, I need to recommit myself, I need to really evaluate my spiritual walk because I have gone down a road that I, I really shouldn't have. God is a great and gracious God who has conversations with us, who always, always loves us even loves people that will ultimately walk away and leave him behind. That's the story of Mark chapter 10. He gives us the greatest potential. What are we going to do with what we know? What are we going to do with how we look and view our lives? And is he going to find us faithful? Don't leave disillusioned. Leave tremendously blessed because your life has been radically changed through him once you come.